Hallelujah. 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 All praises to our King, Yahuwah Eloheinu, and his son, Yahusha the Hamashiach, who came and died for our sins so that we may have a chance at eternal life. Welcome, and I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we like to say Shabbat Shalom to the Hebrew Mishpachah scattered to the four corners, and we say Shabbat Shalom to all the other believing nations of our loving Elohim. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast, and as you know, if you've been listening to us, or if this is your first time, this is a podcast where we would, where we will study the Bible the biblical covenant, and what it means for us today. So get your Bibles, your notebook, your computer, your tablet, whatever you need to begin. Let's begin our study. Now I will turn it over to my co-host. Okay, thank you very much. What we're going to do is we're going to have a two-part study here. Well, not actually a two-part study, but we're going to be studying the covenant, but we're going to be uh dealing with it in different phases. And so this particular covenant is connected to a lot of what we've already discussed. However, we want to look specifically uh, at the covenant uh, that we call a marriage. And so I've, I've entitled this particular discourse uh, from the book of Jeremiah. And if you have your Bibles, we want to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 3, and I want to look particularly at verse 14, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 14, and here's how it reads. It said, turn, O backsliding children, saith Yahuwah, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So what we see here is that Elohim said he is married to his children. Okay. So we want to look at what I've entitled the redemptive wedding, the redemptive wedding. And this is what we want to talk about. Now, when we, when we think in terms of something being redemptive, this has to do things of a Savitic nature. So when we think in terms of a redemptive wedding, it is a wedding which brings salvation to those getting married. While it is true that generally speaking, when we talk about a wedding, it is between a man and a woman. However, the marriage concept is inherent in Elohim's universe. When Yah made his covenant with his people, he did so by a marriage. He says, I am married unto you in the book of Jeremiah 3.14. Thus speaking of him and his people, Israel. In other words, he's saying to Israel, I'm married to you. Marriage is a relationship between Elohim and his people. Now, when so... Uh, when did Yah marry his people? He did so at creation upon breathing the breath of life into the nostrils of the first man in Genesis 3 and Genesis 2, 7. And he was initiated, he was initiating the marriage. 
Now, the breathing was a part of the marriage arrangement that not only between Adam and Eve, but also between Yah and them. So when we consider a marriage relationship, even of a man and a woman, Elohim is still in the marriage concept. The concept of marriage wasn't an isolated act between a man and a woman. It was a concept built into the universe at the creation. While it is true that marriage is commonly looked upon as coming together of a man and a woman, yet the marriage concept extends further than that of the human family. What we would like to observe at this juxtaposition is a broader scope and a wider lens of the concept of marriage. What we would like to do is to start with that of the human marriage and proceed to show how the concept applies to other areas of Elohim's creation. Now, the first marriage we observe is that of Adam and Eve, and then we'll proceed to explore the concept of marriage in other areas of the creation. So the first marriage we'll engage in is what we call or refer to as the Adamic betrothal, the Adamic betrothal. Now we wanna turn into Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we wanna consider the first chapter, not the first chapter, but the second chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, we want to look at verses 23 and 24. Now here it says in verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. So when we look at the Adamic betrothal, uh, betrothal means a, a marriage. We are told from scripture that Yah created Adam. He extracted him uh, uh, when he created Adam. Okay. So in other words, when we look at Adam and Eve here in verses 23 and 24, here we find we are dealing with the first marriage. Okay. So now, in conjunction with that, we want to look at uh, Genesis 2, 7, as we have quoted, it says, and Yehoah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So here, here, here we see here that before he extracted the rib from Adam, he had already made Adam from the dust of the earth. So when we are told from scripture that Yahuwah created Adam, he extracted one of his ribs from his side and he built a woman. Adam was asleep during the process of Yahuwah fashioning the woman into being. However, upon his awakening, he beheld her and he exclaimed, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. 
So when we read this from uh, in Genesis 2, verses 21 to 24, it speaks concerning the first marriage that was taking place. Now here in this passage of scripture, we are beholding the first human matrimony while it is the first marriage, while it is the first marriage of a human couple, of this human couple being joined together in wedlock, let us now examine exactly what makes up a marriage. So now let us observe what went on in a human betrothal of what we will refer to as the marital mergers, the marital mergers, okay? And this Adamic, and this Adamic mergers of marriage, we want to consider what goes into making a marriage. In the marital mergers, there are at least four uh, marital mergers we want to consider. Mainly the matter, the formula, the shaping, and the likeness. We will view each of these aspects from the standpoint of what we will refer to as the marital mergers. The marital mergers has to do with matching up the things to make a marriage. So when he made a marriage, that was these four things that we want to look at and we'll label them as we come to them. Now, when we read in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, let us notice what it says here. It tells us, it says in verse seven of the second chapter of Genesis, and Yehoah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground. So the first thing that we want to consider here as we consider the marital mergers is that what we have here is the marital material, the marital material. And we talk about the marital, we're talking about marriage stuff. So we want to look at the materials in which marriage is made out of. So we call this the marital material. From this text in Genesis 2-7 of scripture, the matter used to make man was the dust of the ground. Now all of the physical portions of which man is composed of came from the earth upon, upon which Adam and his wife would walk. Inter interestingly, one of the Hebrew words for earth is Adomah, Adomah, A-D-M-A-A-H, A-D-M-A, no, Adomah, A-D-A-M-A-H, A-D-A-M-A-H, Adomah. This is a word that is used for the earth. This word has a feminine ending, A-H, just like Sarah. A-H on the end of Sarah makes it feminine. So this word has a feminine ending of which would give the earth gender that of a female. This is why we would refer to earth as mother earth, mother earth, because 
This comes from a feminine word, Adoma, which means a female. Now, when man was taken from the earth, he was called Adam. Adam is a masculine word, giving it a male gender. Yah took something of a feminine nature and made something of a masculine nature. So here we have a masculine man coming from a female, uh, feminine soil. Now to take something that is masculine from something that is feminine raises a question. And the question being, when Elohim extracted from the dust of the earth the components to make man, did not he alone with the masculine qualities also extract some feminine qualities also? In other words, in Hebrew, the word Adomah is a feminine word, and from it we can get our masculine word, which is Adam. Adam is coming from a masculine, from a feminine word. So if that is so, then Adam, then wouldn't it logically make sense that when Yah created Adam from the mother earth, he had both masculine and feminine traits. Okay. So now let's look at that. Here we are taking something masculine from something that's feminine. Okay. So now when we look at Genesis chapter one and verse 27, notice what it says. It said, and Elohim created man in his own image in the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. So therefore, if man at his initial creation was both masculine and feminine, this would justify the scriptures, which says he made male and female, created he them. So when we look at Genesis 2-2, we have a woman being made out of the rib of Adam. The Bible says, and the rib which Yehoah Elohim had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So when we combine this text, Genesis. Okay, what we want to consider here is that uh, we're dealing with some feminine qualities and some masculine qualities. So as we deal with that, we're looking at the Hebrew word Adomah. And if you take the A-H off of Adomah, you have a masculine word. So Adomah is a feminine word. And from it, we can get our masculine word, Adam. Wouldn't it logically make sense that when Yah created Adam from Mother Earth, he had both masculine and feminine traits? Therefore, if man at his initial creation was both masculine and feminine, this would justify the scripture which says 
male and female created he them. So when we combine this text with Genesis 2.22, we have a woman being made out of one of the ribs of Adam. If Moshe said that Yahuwah made them male and female, then we know that the masculine portion made up Adam and the feminine portion of his being made up the woman. This is logical because within Adam was both masculinity and femininity. So when we extract the rib, so when Yah extracted the rib from the side of Adam, he was also extracting simultaneously the feminine qualities from him to make a woman. So when we look at Mother Earth, Mother Earth had contributed it. Uh, Adam to Elohim in order to make a woman. So now what we see here is a female earth gave forth a masculine man. Okay. So now let's look at uh, Corinthians, first Corinthians, that is first Corinthians chapter 11. And we want to consider a few verses there in, in first Corinthians. First Corinthians eleven and all this speaking. He says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Okay. So in other words, Paul is saying that when a woman came into being, the woman came from the man. And we see this in the fact that Adam had a rib taken from his side and it made the woman. So Paul is saying the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. So when he took that rib and made that woman, she came from the man. And then he goes on in verse nine to say, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So he's, he's making a distinction in the order of things. He said, if you got a woman, she came from the man. He calls of the angels. But in lesson, verse, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in Yahuwah. And then he goes on further to say, for as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman but all things of Elohim. Now, when we look at verse 12, notice what it says. He's bringing out that the woman came from the man, but he ends up by saying, for the, for as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman. So in other words, even though the woman is of the man, the man, in order to come into existence, has to come through the woman. But we see what we see in this also is the fact is that originally the earth, which is Mother Earth, is that man came from something feminine, and from something feminine came something masculine, and from the masculine came the femininity, and then it says that once man 
and woman had come into existence and the woman being from the man, then she turns around and she is also responsible for, for man coming into the world. So just like the mother earth brought forth Adam, we see that Adam brought forth the woman. And then when the woman comes, she in turn to bring forth man again. So what we're looking at in marriage is that Elohim made a man from the soil, which was feminine. So what we are seeing here is that in a marriage, we are seeing that is made out of the elements of the earth and both the man and the woman who has come from the earth are made out of the same materials. And so by being made out of the same materials, these are the materials that would be used in order to create a marriage. So the first thing that we have looked at is the marital material. So we want to keep that in mind. That's very important. The marital materials. And so uh, as we look at that, we want to turn back to Genesis chapter 2. And well, again, we want to look at verse 7, Genesis 2, 7. We want to kind of exhaustively look at this particular text cause. In Genesis 2-7, we have a whole lot that is in there that we have to unpack. So here it says, And Yehoah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground. Okay? And then when he did that, it says, And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So here in Genesis 2-7, we read another component about the marital situation. However, once having created the material portion of man, Yah proceeds to breathe his breath into the physical substance of his being, and he became a living soul. So once having breathed life into the soul of man, he now has within himself two natures. And this takes us to our next marital merger, which is the marital mixture, the marital mixture. So in the marital mixture, what we see here in Genesis 2-7 is that we have two components. We have the dust of the earth and we have the breath of life. When Elohim breathed into the nostrils, of the material substance of man, it was only then that he possessed the life-giving substance to move about and to acquire the ability to think and to reason. In the merger of the breath of Yah with the material matter of man, it created a man with a hybrid nature of spirit and soil of which we refer to as the numos physical nature. Yah intention was Yah, Yah's intention for man after he had laid the groundwork was that man would be governed by his spirit. 
he would have a spiritual nature, which was the portion of his being which came from Yah's breath. It was Elohim's spirit that was to guide man in his walk with his creator and maker. It was only up until man violated his covenant with his creator that the physical nature of man took precedence over the spiritual nature. Eventually, as man alienated himself from the original covenant with his maker, his physical nature would, e would exert an even more dominance over his spiritual nature. Let us now examine this hybrid nature of man. As we pointed out, man's nature is composed of soil and spirit. The soil part comes from the dust of the earth and the spirit part comes from the breath of Yah's breathing into Adam. When these two natures are mixed together, we have a carnal and a spiritual being. The carnality comes from man's flesh and the spirituality comes from Yah's breath. When we examine the merging of Elohim's breath of life with the soul of the human flesh, what we experience are a number of associations which both give us kinship to the soul of the earth and kinship to the spirit of Elohim. So we have two natures. One nature looks back to the soul from which it has come. The other nature looked back to Elohim who had given the spirit of life. The same breath which comes, the same breath which causes man to be a living, vibrant, moving human being is the same breath which gives man the ability to think, reason, imagine, and conceive. Man's ability to intellectualize is a combination of the breath and the brain. In order for the brain to properly function, there must be sufficient amounts of oxygen to supply it so that it can perform at its maximum. When Yah breathes into the nostrils of man, the breath of life, it supplied the initial stimulants to get more, to get man to thinking. And in order for Yah to test man's ability to reason and to think, he gave him a task to do. Now let's turn to uh, Genesis and see what this task is that he gave in order to test out how the spirit and the brain was working. So we turn to Genesis chapter 2, and in chapter 2 we look at verse number 19, and it says, And out of the ground Yah Elohim formed man of the beasts of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Here we find that Elohim assigned the task to Adam to name the creatures he had created. And whatsoever Adam called them, 
was the name thereof. Now that Adam could properly name the creatures Yah had created, Yah knew that his brain was properly working. So when he named all of those animals, Elohim knew that the man that he had given to Adam was working properly. So when the spirit and the brain come together, it produced the mentality that was needed. What we are seeing in this scenario is that the combination of the brain and the breath works together to manufacture thoughts and imaginations which are in our hearts. If we are to have our brains properly regulated, we must allow our minds to be regulated by his breath, which is his spirit. When the Holy Spirit of Yah takes possession of our minds, it starts with our conscience. Our word for conscience comes from two words. It comes from the word con and also the word science. These two words carry the respective meanings of with and the study of or the knowledge of. The word con means with. It means with. And the word science means the study of or the knowledge of. Consequently, if con means with and science means the study of or the knowledge of, then these two words combined together would carry the meanings of the following. With the study of or with the knowledge of. So when we talk about the conscience, we are talking about knowledge with knowledge or with the study of. So when Adam used his mind to deal with the naming of the creation of the creatures that Elohim had made, it was his conscience which had the study of or with the knowledge of. It appears that this word conscience has to do with a place in our being whereby our seat of reasoning comes from a point or a place where Elohim has built in wisdom and knowledge. It comes from a place with knowledge. When Yah shared his breath with Adam, he also shared his knowledge with him. Our conscience is the closest entity we have with our creator. When we violate our conscience, we impair our relationship to our creator and maker. Our minds are marred, our, our minds are married to Yah's man by way of our conscience. up the word for kind it is word Sunidesis, Sunidesis, Sunidesis is spelled S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S, S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S, Sunidesis. Sunidesis means a knowing of one's, a knowing with oneself. So when we look at the word conscience, it means 
a knowing with oneself. This is why Solomon says, in Proverbs 1.7, he says, the fear of Yehoah is the beginning of knowledge. Why? Because you have a conscience. And that conscience is a part of the mind of Elohim. So therefore, if it's a part of the mind of Elohim, then Solomon has said the fear of Yah is the beginning of knowledge. And he further says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of Yah is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So Solomon recognized that when Elohim created us, he created us with a conscience, which was mean with wisdom, with knowledge. He created us with that. And as a result, he created man with that. Then man's uh, brain with the spirit of Elohim created a man that was akin to the mind of Elohim himself. So when we look at the miracle mixture, what we're looking at is how the spirit of Elohim or the breath of Elohim and the soul of Adam and his physical nature of Adam, as they come together, it produces an amalgamation or a hybrid of the spirit and the flesh. And when the spirit and the man or the spirit and the brain comes together, it comes together to produce thoughts, ideas, and imaginations. And so we see that not only man's body is married to the earth, but man's being with the spirit is married to Elohim. So what we are looking at is the mergers, is the mergers of how things are mixed together. And in this mixture of the spirit and the flesh, we have man with two natures, the nature of the earth made out of the soul or the nature of the spirit, which is made out of the breath. So thus far we look at the marital materials I'm going to go back to Genesis 2-7 and look at another mirror merger. Here's, and there he says, and for Elohim formed. He not only had the materials, they not all them together, but here he says, and Elohim formed, okay? So the next marital merger is what we call the marital morphology. Marital morphology. That's M-O-R-P-H-O-L-O-G-Y. Okay. Here we are told that the dust of which composed the material substance of man was formed by Elohim. This word form comes from the Hebrew word Yetzah, Yetzah, and that's Y-A-T-S-A-R, Y-A-T-S-A-R, Yetzah, meaning to form, fashion, frame, or constitute. When we concern ourselves with the shaping and forming things, that has to do with the science of structures or configurations, which is 
the branch of science we call morphology. Morphology deals with studying the shapes and the anatomy of things. And as we do that, we enter into the science of morphology. But the first science of morphology is found here in the scriptures. He said he formed man. He shaped him. That was morphology. And when we look at morphology, we're dealing with the science of shapes and fashions and things of that sort. So out of all the creatures Yah created, man was the only creature he made in his image and likeness. For the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and Elohim said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So here he says when he made man, he made him in his image and likeness. So at this juxtaposition, why is it that Elohim made man in his image? Why was that? As we reason with this text, along with some of the others, Moses gave, we can reasonably draw some conclusion as to why he did. Why did he make man in his image? Well, let's look at and see some of the reasons why he had done this. So when we think in terms of form and shape, it is with the idea that something takes on a certain design that can be distinguished from that of another. While that is true, yet for Elohim to shape and design a thing, it takes on more than just outward this an outward description of something or somebody. When Yah made Adam in his image and likeness, it involves both man's outer and inward being, while Elohim, while Elohim so constructed the inward and outward anatomy of every plant and creature, yet inwardly and outwardly, their physiological description also carried a spiritual essence of which would govern man's organs in his body and at the same time display an outward appearance to look like his creator and maker. Moreover, the image and likeness would also give man the ability and function to be and to act like his maker. This image and likeness would also include an affinity with his creator. And with this affinity, man would have the ability to both know and to act like Yah in everything that he said and everything that he did. There is no other being in Yah's creation that has Yah's image and likeness, but man. Not even the angelic hosts are created in the image and likeness of their creator and maker. We are the only creatures in the universe that he made that has both his image and likeness. Man is the only one 
Moreover, there is an even deeper reason why Yah's image and likeness has to do with man that is the law of distinction. Now, when we turn into Genesis chapter 1, when Moshe wrote in Genesis that everything Yah created would reproduce after its kind. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, verses 21, and verses 24 through 27. In these verses, it says that everything that Elohim created in the botanical world, as well as in the zoological world, it said everything reproduces after its kind. In this law of distinction, Yah intended that just by the appearance of a thing or person, we could have both the knowledge and the behavior as to how to relate to his creation. When we try to remove the man of distinction in creation by either our thinking or behavior in relationship to what he has created, we are in transgression of the law of distinction. And today we find that individuals are trying to remove the laws of distinction. You can't tell this from that. But Elohim intended for us to have laws of distinction. In the botanical world, as well as in the zoological spheres of life, Yah has given distinctive commands as to how we relate to the various species in both the plant and many of the species are edible for purposes. We to care to understand the of our creation to relate to him. Uh, when Adam was given understanding something not only about animals but about Elohim. And so when Elohim eventually would give him a wife, he would see the relationship of the male and the female of the animal world and he would get some idea of how they treated one another in order how to treat Eve. In the world, it was not just the animals that he was saying, but he was saying how Elohim would think and reason. Yet when it comes to mankind, cohabitation together, yet when it comes to mankind cohabitating together, he has given certain laws of distinction to forbid both the thinking and the behavior of such cohabitation. You see, man and the way he wants it rather than Elohim wants it. So let us turn to Leviticus and Leviticus, the 18th chapter. We want to look at this law of distinction that he had established way back in the covenant with Adam and Eve. He said, everything shall be reproduced after his kind. So when we read in Leviticus 18, we turn to verse 23 and notice what it says in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus 18. He said, neither shall thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereof. It is confusion. 
So you can see the reason why he made man in the form and image and likeness of himself is because man to look like him. And so when he have a relationship in a cohabitation, then he knows that he has he sees an animal, uh, animals does not even have the shape and likeness of a divine being. So he knows he's not to lay with any, 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 in any animal because they do not have the shape and the image of Elohim. And so Elohim had made it so simple that when we move through life, we don't have to have a PhD or to have a THD or, or an MD to know who we should cohabitate with. We can just look at the shape. This is why we cannot go along with fashions that is both for man and for woman. We have to make a distinction. If we're a man, it must be masculine. And if a female, if it's a woman, it must be femininity. So he gave these laws. So when we turn to Leviticus chapter 20, and the beast, and if they walk and lie down there, to shall kill, thou shall kill the beast, they their blood distinction. If you look at the animal world, there's nothing in your in your shape or your form like Elohim, which he gave to man. So he says, therefore, you shall not lay with any animal. And you can know that by the shape and the image of animals. Man was the only man was the only creature that he made in his image. And so when we look at the image and he made male and female, they are the only two that can cohabitate together. Not a man and a beast because they are not in the image. He made the image so that we can see who we should and should not be able to cohabitate with. And notice what it says in verse 25. Uh, verse 25 of Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20 and verse 25 says, Ye shall therefore put a difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beasts, or by fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground that I have separated from you as unclean. And verse 26 goes on for this day, and ye shall be holy unto me, for I, Yehoah, am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. So Elohim is looking for a holy people. And one of the ways we see that is by the morphology of us being able to uh, be separated, and especially in a marital state, only 
man and the woman. So when we look at these things and their shapes, Elohim is distinctly saying everything reproduces after kind. Man produces after man, plants after plants, and animals after animals. Furthermore, we are told by the Apostle Paul concerning this law of distinction, which has been in violation by mankind. Let us see what Paul has to say. Let us turn to Romans in the book of Romans. We want to look at Romans, the first chapter, and see what Paul has to say about the violation of this law of distinction. So here in Romans chapter one, we want to look at. Romans 1, 22. And here it says, in verse 22 of Romans, it said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible Elohim into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, Elohim also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of Elohim into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, Elohim gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which is meat. And even as they did not like to retain Elohim, in their knowledge, Elohim gave them over to a reprobate man to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of Elohim, despisers, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural reflections, implacable, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of Elohim, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So here's what he's saying. They didn't want to see any distinction. There's a distinction with the design of man and woman. There's a distinction between the man and the beast. And Elohim said, when you see the distinction, it's okay. But when you overlook the distinction about man with the man, Elohim says that's forbidden. With a woman with a woman, he said that's forbidden. And so as we look at it, as we look at 
in these in these passages, we can see that the lines of demarcation are removed and bestiality has taken over. The most profound reasoning as to why Yah created man and his image is found in our salvation. When we consider the fact that when Yah and his son laid out the plan of redemption, it had a lot to do with our salvation. In order for us to be redeemed, a Messiah must come to redeem his chosen people. He had to come as a second Adam, and in doing so, he would have to come as did the first Adam with a distinct shape and form. Now, the only form and shape was the one that he gave to the first man, and that was after that of he and his father. He couldn't come in the form and the shape of any creature, but man who was made in his image and likeness. Only such a form could accommodate his coming into our world to redeem us. Okay, now, uh, as, as we consider uh, this form, it has something to do with re re redemption. But at this juxtaposition, we're going to bring this discourse to a close. And next week, we're going to find out what is the reason uh, for the redemptive form and why uh, the image and the likeness of Elohim must be included in redemption. So we'll start with that next week. So at this time, we draw it to a conclusion. And if there's any uh, questions or observation or concerns, we can address those now. One of the things I observed was, you know, uh, a lot of times we think about uh, marriage, you know, is basically between man and a woman. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the definition of marriage, one of the definitions is a combination or mixture of two or more elements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I see how Yahuwah was married to us and how you brought out about, uh, you know, he married to us through his spirit, through the mind in so mm -hmm. many words and, and how he is conjoined to us. And I mm -hmm. guess, you know, I can see how it was such a disappointing thing, how you brought out that we were the only ones who was made like in his image, mm -hmm. you know, even out of the angels, we're the only ones and how hurt he must've felt when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, didn't listen to him and sinned and entered this world, you know, how, mm -hmm. you know, th that has to be, you know, something that you created and that you love so much to turn their back against you. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be a real hurting thing. Yeah, I, I would no doubt, you know, yeah, it was very, uh, an intense uh, severity and pain that Elohim experienced because when he uh, marred that image, uh, I think a sad note went throughout all heaven and even the angels, which no doubt shouted for joy when he made man, uh, they must have been saddened by the fact that man forfeited the covenant and and marred the image that Elohim had put in him. He thought so highly of man. He said, I want to make him just like me. Yeah. And here you mark such an image like that. 
I can imagine they just wag their heads and sit down and droop their heads like a weeping willow tree. And when they hit the harp, they probably just hit it one time Mm -hmm. to express the sorrow that was in their heart. Yeah, you know, it had to have been a real thing of sorrow. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you took that much time, you know, to make man in your exact image. Mm-hmm. And then breathe the breath of life. Because I don't know, did he breathe the breath of life into the animals also? No, you know, that's interesting. Uh, that's definitely make it so profound is the fact because when you turn into Genesis, uh, especially, and uh, I believe, let me see, Genesis chapter, let me see here. All right, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, and you know, it said, uh, when he get, dealt with the creatures, the Bible says, uh, in, in Genesis 1, 20, it says, and Elohim said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the roar, the moving creatures that have life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And Elohim created great wells and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and Elohim saw that it it was good. So apparently, he did he didn't take the time to breathe into them like he did. He just brought them forth, mm-hmm. and I guess the atmospheric oxygen went into their lungs, and he made them. And then when it says that uh, in verse twenty four, and let and Elohim said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind and the cattle and the creeping beasts uh, and the earth after his kind. And it was so he said, and Elohim made the beasts of the earth after his kind and every cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And Elohim saw that it was so, so, and even when you get in the second chapter where it explains about how he made Adam, mm-hmm. it never says that he, took the time to breathe in their nostrils like he did at Adam. So did he just bring the animals forth or did he actually form them like he did man? Yeah, I think he, well, from what I can see is that uh, he brought, he says uh, here uh, in, in, in in verse 20, notice what it says. It says, let the waters bring forth. And then when you get into uh, verse 24, when he got the other creatures, he said, let the earth bring forth. So it mm-hmm. sounded like he just, he just spoke them into existence. He told uh, it, the waters to do this. And he told the earth to do this. But when he, man was so particular that when he got to man, he said, let us take our time and make man. Make man. Huh. And, and he took his time, not only to, to make him, but he took his time to form and shape him. And then he breathed into his nostrils. So something was specially going on here because it, when you read in the Bible, when it says that the hand of Elohim, you know, he, you know, he fashioned the worlds and uh, with his hands. And when he took his fingers and he did things, what what the Bible is saying is, is that when when it talks about he taking his fingers and doing things with his fingers, mm-hmm then it's talking about Elohim making meticulous care in what he is making. But when it came to the animals, he didn't take that meticulous care as he did 
when he took his fingers and his hand and he made man. He was meticulously designing man to be exactly what he wanted him to be. Wow. You know, it just shows you how loving and merciful he is because even after all of this, he could have destroyed his creation and redid it all over again. He could have. But could have. he decided, you know, to have the plan of redemption to give us a chance. And I think to really show what type of Elohim he is, mm -hmm. you know, because he can honestly say, look, through the ages, look how many times I have given you grace and given you a chance to repent and, and to return. And I think am I, I could be wrong, but didn't he extend the same thing to Satan as Satan could have Lucifer could have uh, came back and repented, said, I'm sorry, and it would have been done away with and everything would have been back to where yeah. it was. Yeah, I think that was, that was the essence of it, uh, because when he was kicked out of heaven, you know, he was kicked out according to the book of Revelation because he started a war in heaven. Mm -hmm. But we got to believe that before the war was started, that Elohim he reached out to him. And I would think that some of the angels also uh, spoke with uh uh, uh, the adversary in heaven, you know, and told him, you know, hey, look here. Uh, it looked like uh, our creator, you know, he, he's he, he's very reasonable, you know. Mm -hmm. well, you know, why don't you uh, just give up this, what, you, what you're doing, and he's going to restore you back to your own position that you once had over the Ark of the Covenant. And I can imagine that maybe Lucifer said, okay, well, maybe I can't do that. But he probably reached a point that he said, well, no, I ain't going to do it. And so he challenged Yehoah. And then when he challenged him, he had, he recognized that since he had been over the angelical choir and Elohim had trusted him, mm -hmm. that he had so many of the angels with him to say, hey, you know, we, we're not going to live like he wants us to live. He wants us to live by law. He said, we, we are intelligent angels. We don't love and about we got good sense. We we don't need to live we can live by our own law, you know. Yeah. And I imagine that they reached the point is that the book of Revelation says in the twelfth chapter that the angels of of uh, uh, uh of Satan who was the one in heaven by the name of uh he he was the devil and that old serpent called the devil who, and the reason why they brought him the serpent because he was the same one that came down to deceive Adam and Eve. But when that when there was a a war, mm -hmm. it says uh, in in Revelation uh, twelve uh, nine it says, and that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. His angels with him. Okay, so they mm -hmm. want to take over heaven, but Elohim cast him out so I can imagine he did before he put him out mm -hmm. he let them know that they could be redeemed mm. but if they didn't accept it and they were right there in the presence of Elohim and the father mm -hmm. I mean Elohim and his son and they resented them so much that they did not want to reach out and to be restored back to their original position that once they was kicked out, then there could be no redemption for them. 
he could not come and die for them like he died for us. Yeah. And so in the book of Job, when it says that when Elohim looked down on the planet Earth and, and Satan said he was going back and forth in the Earth doing this and that. And then Elohim asked him, he said, have you considered my servant Job? Uh-huh. And he said, well, the reason why Job serving you because you gave him, you, he's a rich man, you gave him all that, but if you take everything from Job, he'll curse you. So it shows he still had access to heaven at this time. He was coming back and forth in these councils, okay? Yeah. But Elohim could not let him back into heaven because he knew that he hadn't changed. He was a deceiver, and it was all in his DNA. You know, he couldn't uh-huh. change. And so... Elohim knew at that point he couldn't he couldn't trust him to come back in heaven because if he, even if he got back there he would start the same old mess o- over. Yeah. So since he went on through with it with it, Elohim had to say, you know, uh, I'm gonna let you run your course, but in the end, I have made hell fire for the devil, uh-huh. and the devil was made to be burned up. And only reason why we'll be burned up is that we continue to walk with the devil, but if we let the devil's hand go and start keeping the covenant of, of Yah, we don't have to worry about the fire, because the fire isn't made for us, it's made for the devil and his angels, but if yeah. we continue to sin, then we also going to have to partake of the same hell that he partakes of, but when we let him go, and go with Yahushua, then we don't have to wor- worry about that, but yes, he had time, because we can see all through the scriptures that before Elohim destroyed anybody, Matter of fact, it started with our first parents. Do you think he gave our first parents any more uh, privilege than he didn't did he did to Satan? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Why would he be that partial? If he gave us a chance, he say he gave the world before the flood a chance. And when Noah was the only one, he destroyed it. But he gave he gave Noah preached a hundred and how how long? Twenty years, mm-hmm. and they didn't repent. He gave them time. Yeah, and then when Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave them time, and all down through the Bible, he gave the Israel a chance before they went into Babylonian captivity. Now, do we think that if he gave everybody else a chance, he didn't give Satan a chance? Soon as Satan saying he kicked him out, no, I don't believe that. Yeah, I think his his posture is consistent. He said, "I he said I'm Elohim, and I change not." So therefore, he must have given Lucifer and those fallen angels. He must have given them them a chance to say, hey, come on back. Yeah. And we'll treat you right. But they, they didn't want it. So when they left heaven and that war, that was it for them. They are on a destiny of eternal death now. You know, I, I found it was interesting when I was reading through, uh, I don't know if they consider it part of the Apocrypha or the Lost Book, but I was reading through the book of Adam and Eve. And mm-hmm. um the story goes Adam and Eve was trying to get back into the garden and they confronted one of the angels and they was trying to sneak in, but they weren't able to. And so that one of the angels was talking with them, explaining to them about the war that happened in heaven with Satan. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that was not for Yah's hand that Satan pretty much would have taken over heaven and mm-hmm. Yah had to intervene and forcefully pushed him out because, you know, he's he made all of them. So, you know, he's the um, his power is unknown to any other angels and even us. 
And so he was the only reason the, the one angel was saying when he was telling Adam and Eve that he was able to get them out of heaven and usher them and kick them out. So it wasn't mm -hmm. for that. He probably would have taken over mm -hmm. and all. But, you know, it just shows that how much he is selfish and how when you really boil down and look at it, how loving our Elohim is that he's given us time and time and time and time again to get mm -hmm. it right. And I think in the end, he's going to say, look, you had more than ample enough time to get it right with me and you didn't. Mm -hmm. And this is your fate. You know? Yeah, well, he, he gave time and chance to all of us right. uh, and we have to take advantage of that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About That. Today, I want to talk about kind of pin piggybacking on what we just was talking about. Uh, I want to talk about the wiles of the devil. So one of the first verses I want you to turn with me is uh, four verses where I want you to read along with me. And the first one is uh, Deuteronomy eleven sixteen, And it reads, Guard yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other Elohim and worship them. Uh, let me see. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, the next verse... I want you to turn with me is Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to read verse 11 and 12. That's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 and 12. And for some of you who study of the Bibles, you're probably familiar with this verse. And I remember this is one of the verses when I was in a Christian academy that we learned. And it goes, put on the whole armor of Elohim that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The very last verse I want you to turn with me is in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, verse I'm sorry, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9. Again, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. One of the reasons I wanted to read this is because I don't think a lot of times we as people understand the deceitfulness of Satan. And especially when it comes to the religion and churches and whatnot, I don't, know, I don't really think we think about his full scope. I think a lot of times when we go to churches, we feel that uh, we're protected from Satan in these places, but... When you really look at a lot of those, these churches and buildings, and I know we discussed this before uh, a little bit, 
we see certain things that has nothing to do with Yahusha in these places. And so we have to start to think, is Yah really a part of these religions and a part of these churches? Because to be honest, when we look at everything Satan has his hands in, he has his hands in the music industry. He has his hands in music, in movies, in television. Why wouldn't he have it in the church? You know, and I don't think that a lot of us take our scripture, engage these religions and churches with scripture. We go along with all these doctrines that these churches bring forth, but we don't fact check it. Like like we do when it comes to politics, we fact check a lot of these things that different politicians say. But are we fact checking what these ministers and pastors are saying and what these religions are saying in these churches? So my thing, you know, we need to start being on high alert. And I'm not, I have said this again. We need to constantly use our scripture to to go along to see what is truth from error because I believe you know a, a lot of these religions are a lot in error uh -huh. you know case in point I mean with the whole pandemic thing you know how many religions really profess their love for Yah and have faith in him as opposed to going along with what the world says to do uh -huh. you know so I just have one. I have a question. What are okay. some things as we as as people we really need to do in order to make sure we headed in the right path in the path that Yahuwah has stated for us? Well, I think there's a number number of things we can do. But however, we want to look at something that is basic here that mm -hmm. that we need to understand is that when we Look at uh, Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> He's bringing out the fact that uh, he said, "Take heed." In other words, when you take heed to something, you want to be aware of it. He said, "Take heed to yourself that your heart." Now, when the Bible speaks about the heart, somewhat would be spoke about today is that our minds uh, and our heart are somewhat the same. Just like. It says here in verse 16 of the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy, take heed to yourself that your hearts be not deceived. And even there's a text that Jeremiah says that uh, uh, that our hearts can be deceived. Mm -hmm. And if we and if our hearts are deceived, then that means that we have uh, allowed something to come in to deter us from the truth. And he said, ye turn aside and serve other Elohims and worship them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we look at our hearts, we have to understand what is in our hearts. Because generally what's in our hearts is going to come out into our lifestyle and our, our, our behavior. True. And if our behavior is deceptive and erroneous, so would our, I mean, if our minds and our hearts are erroneous and, and uh, what we call deceptive, so would our behavior be the same way. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, when we look at look at that, that we know that Elohim is telling telling them, you know, that this false worship 
is coming from your heart, and what is coming from your heart is the things that that you put in into your heart. Uh-huh. Because Jeremiah says, you, you know, our hearts above all things are wicked and deceptive. Uh-huh. How did that w- wicked and deception get there? Is because when Adam and Eve sinned, they began to take on the attributes of Satan, and when uh-huh. that gets in there, and it starts working along with Elohim, it's going to put the same thing in them that was in Satan, which is good and evil. This is why Elohim told them of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, that's what you're going to become. And so what we are seeing in the churches and what we're seeing in the movies and TV and Internet and our blogs and all of this stuff, we're seeing good and evil. Yeah. And so a lot of people feel that if it got so much good in it, even though the evil is there, then it's permissible. No, no, it's not. Yeah. He has always shunned evil, the evil practices and the evil speech. Okay. Now, when we turn to uh, uh, Ephesians, now know what it, notice what it says in Ephesians six eleven that you were pointing out. Mm-hmm. In 11, 6 and 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of Elohim that you may be able to stand amidst the wiles of the devil. Now, when you look at the word wiles in the Greek, it means, it comes from a, a Greek word that means methodia. Yeah. Okay. Now, methodia mm-hmm. is, is a word that we get our word method from. Method from. Mm-hmm. So, when we look at the wiles of the devil, we're looking at his methods. Now, what mm-hmm. are his methods? Mm-hmm. See? Uh-huh. He, 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 he. You know, he had methods in heaven. And when we look at his methods, one of his greatest tools and one of his greatest methods is what? Same thing we see in the Garden of Eden. Deception. deception. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's one of his greatest methods is deception. And so when he uses deception, he said he has a method to his madness. Mm. He got a method, you know, he said we shall be able to stand against the, the methods of Satan. Not, you know, when we use wells, that's one thing. But when we look, go to the, the core meaning of the Greek, it says uh, we put on the armor so that we can stand against his methods. And if we don't understand his methods, he, he's got us. Wow. And then, and, and then in verse 12, it says, he says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the doctors of this world, and against spiritual doctors in high places. Now, what he's doing in, in verse 12, not only does he have a method, but what we see in his methodology is that he has a rank and an order. A rank and an order. In other words, Paul is saying, we're around here fighting with flesh and blood. We are fighting with the uh, with the racists and those who are uh, uh, a victim of racism. We are around here fighting with the white supremacists and and the black nationalists. Mm-hmm. He said we 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 looking at the flesh and blood stuff. He said, but against principalities and power, okay. Mm-hmm. And he says we are fighting against rulers of the darkness. In other words. Uh, the rank and order of Satan is is that he got rulers out there of the darkness and they handle different type of evils. Do you know that there's a devil that deals with diseases? There's a devil that specializes in in lying. Mm-hmm. 
There's a devil that specializes in fornication and adultery. He had, in other words, when you get with darkness, it's, it's all type of evils, but he got different angels over those things. Wow. He said, but against principalities. In other words, uh, he has an organization of evil, and he calls them principalities. And he said, we're fighting against powers. We're fighting against rulers of the darkness. In other words, these people are not amateurs. These angels, fallen angels, they're not amateurs. He said, these are rulers. They rule darkness. Wow. And he says, we are fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, when we look and see what is going on in this country, and when we see what is going on in the universe, he says, these are spiritual wickedness in high places. Not See, when we look at the news, uh, uh, what do we see? We see individuals that they say may have stolen a purse. Mm -hmm. A person may have uh, have a drive-by shooting or something like this. Mm -hmm. But see, we're we, we looking at the low fruit on the tree, the low fruit on the tree. But we, we don't look at the, the, the fruit on the high part of the tree, the fruit way up there at the top. Mm -hmm. See, most of the time when we report crime or something, it's, it's the low man. Yeah. But we don't see that in the large corporations, that in the government, that there's a lot of spiritual wickedness going on. Mm. You see, they're the ones in the top. And especially the oligarchy or the aristocrats mm -hmm. and the people who got money who want to rule the, the, the planet, yeah. they got enough money to be able to do things and form systems that the people who are of, of, of a lower stature and does not have as much means to do. Yeah. So they can take their money and they can do things and make uh, certain uh type of methods that they employ to be able to put into practice the evil practices that they, they want to do. So when we look at uh, the fact is, uh, is that the Bible is telling us that the enemy that we are actually fighting, we can't even see him. We can't see him. Yeah. But, but his thinking and his thoughts are being imputed and imparted to those who would allow themselves to be under his influence. It's like when you look at uh, when you when 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 you look at uh, 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 a lot of uh, uh, of the black Hebrews, uh, which we call the black people in America, mm -hmm. and me and, and and I know me myself when I was growing up in Chicago, I came out of Cabrini Green. But then when you look at Cabrini Green, they said that was what you call structural racism. In other words, you just took a whole lot of black people and put them in one place and stacked them on top of one another like corn and didn't give them the privileges and the opportunities of education and wealth like you did to the rest of the population. And as a result, we had a lot of crime and stuff like that. And we look at the crime, but we don't look at the structural racism that was at the top of the people who were the governors and the aldermen and the mayors of these cities and what they did and what they allowed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because if we were American citizens, why would you treat us any better than any other any other people? I was glad to get in the projects, but I know when I got in them, they were new. But after that, they had so many gangs over there mm-hmm. that they brought it. They brought the property down. And I understand Don Lemon when he was talking about on news, he was saying that they have demolished the Cabrini homes and they are, they are no more. But when you look at structural racism, mm-hmm. it, it took a higher power, not the man at the bottom. It was the man at the top. But oftentimes we look at the, the crime at the bottom, but we don't look at the crime at the top. So yeah. when we look at the news today, we are just looking at one class of people. Yeah. That's because we have not been sophisticated enough to understand that the enemy that we are dealing with, we can't see, but he works with the top people. Now, isn't isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that when you read the Bible, notice what it says in 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 the in the book of uh, Genesis. No, no, notice what it says in in Genesis one three. Notice, notice this. It said, "Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which Yah Elohim had made." And he said unto the woman, "Yea, has Elohim uh, said, Ye shall not eat of." Every tree of the garden. Now, no, no, no. Now, what I want you to notice is this, and this is something that we often overlook. It said the serpent mm-hmm. was the most intelligent being that Elohim made in the field. He was the most intelligent. Mm-hmm. So, if he was the most intelligent, Satan didn't just choose any animal. He chose the top of the crop. Wow. So, when you look at Fauci and you look at Bill Gates. He's talking about the devil using intelligent folk to do what is work. He don't go down there and get the little man that don't know anything. True. He tried to get the top people that know something. And when they know it, he said, if I can use them, then I can use them to deal with the rest of, of, of the people. That's his methodology. His method is to get the best to do his work. Yes. That's, that, that is so true, because he, mm-hmm. like he said, he, he, I think, spends his time scoping out, you know, each one to do his bidding, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that a lot of it is when he does that, he knows, uh, he knows the hearts, you know, when you study a person, you can understand the workings of that person mm-hmm. and some of the things that they really want in life. And that's yeah. when I think they can approach, he'll approach you with all this uh fame fortune and all of that mm-hmm. but you know the thing is these people i don't think they do not i don't think i know they don't know yahuwah no you know and it, and it was something interesting that i had saw uh when and i thought it was a joke uh i mean eddie murphy was talking with uh sammy davis jr of and he was saying that Sammy told him in so many words, he served Satan. And so I think Eddie said was like, you know, he's like, what? He was like, yeah, he was like, he paid just as well as Yahuwah does. So why not? Mm -hmm. And all. But, you know, the thing is, is that when you look at Satan and follow him, all you can get is to reap the benefits of this world. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to the eternal life you're going to have with him. There is no mm-hmm. eternal life. But Yahuwah, if you don't have riches and wealth now on this planet Earth, you can, if you make it to the eternal kingdom, you can look forward to 
wealth beyond this world can even have and wealth beyond whatever you can even fathom and all. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us, we don't see that. We just look at now. And even when it comes to these churches and when it comes to religion, we just looking at now, we want to have our foot in the door. I think a lot of times to say, you know, yeah, you know, I I did go to church every week, every Sunday, every Shabbat. Mm -hmm. I I, I did try to do. um, Yeah, I did keep Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. but um, I don't see it's nothing wrong with it. It's your birthday, isn't it? But mm-hmm. he said, I didn't say that. In my word, I wanted you to keep my holy feast every year. I gave you the 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 uh the uh uh the guidebook on how to live according to what I want you to live live through and all. But you didn't want to do that. And I think a lot of us don't. And I, and I just mm-hmm. wonder if y'all couldn't really uh, uh, tap into our mindset and everything to understand who we truly are. Will we be playing both of the fences? You know, we love sinning just as much as we want to get into heaven, I think. You know, mm-hmm. you know that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. 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 Because I, I really truly believe we as a people, we hate to give up sin. And, it, and it's, it's funny. A lot of times I heard people say, when you tell them about new truth, I, I, I think I have enough. I don't want no more. Well, that's mm-hmm. what is that. That's it. <laughs> if you don't want no yeah. more. I mean, I'm the type of person like this. If, if there's new truth, you need to read and understand it. And if I don't want to read and understand it, what am I doing this for? Why am I going to church? Because you, you, we don't read in the Bible. You can't be on a fence. He thinks he's like warm water. He spewed mm-hmm. out of his mouth. You, you're neither hot nor cold mm-hmm. and all. But I think, you know, too many of us in these religions, you know, we play with Yah all the time. We try to think that we're doing what he wants us to do and we're not, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, well, I think in, 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 in conjunction with that is the fact that is, uh, especially when you deal with religion, is that each each person who calls himself a part of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. They have their own denomination and they have their own church. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that when you're a part of a church, uh, then you're part of the doctors of that church. Now the doctrines, some could be, uh, what the Bible says and some can be what the Bible didn't say, Yeah. but they feel justified in the fact that, if I'm a part of this church and this is correct, and even though this is wrong, I'm still on my way to heaven. But it would seem to me is that your whole reason for trying to get heaven and, and get into the new world is because it's going to be a world that is free from crime and everything else. Just like you said about many of these celebrities. Now, you know, they say the devil can pay you as well as Elohim can pay you. But the only thing about this world, you can get a lot of pay in this world and material things, mm-hmm. but it's going to perish. And not only that, you're going to perish with it. But in the eternal world, when you have wealth, you and your wealth is going to be for for eternity. Yeah. Because where the word where the word of uh, where the word where the evil word goes out, and we follow that, then that leads to death. But where the good word goes out. That leads to life. Just like when uh, Satan came down here to tempt our Messiah mm-hmm. in the wilderness. 
he offered him three temptations. And when he offered those three temptations, Elohim or Yeshua the Messiah, he said that it is written. And what was written was Elohim's eternal covenant, his word. See, Elohim never gave us a church. Mm -hmm. He gave us a covenant. And a lot of people said, well, my church. Elohim never gave you a church. Because yeah. if he gave you a church, then you show me what a church he gave in the Bible. He never gave a church. He only gave one thing. Mm -hmm. He gave a covenant. Yeah. And the covenant he gave to his people. Who are his people? His people are Israel. He never gave a church. So if he gave a church, what what if you show me the church that he gave in the Bible, I will join that church. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what, what church he gave? Yeah. He gave a covenant, and then he gave a covenant-keeping people that when they have the word that he has given in Mount Sinai, then what happens is he said, the word that I speak comes from me. Now, who are you, Elohim, who speaks? He said, I am, I am. Mm -hmm. He says, yeah, that's what, who he is. He said, I am the eternal one. And so if I'm the eternal one, he said, that which I speaks comes from an eternal being, so therefore my word is eternal. And if you follow my word and put it in your heart, you will be eternal. But if you don't follow the eternal word and you follow Satan's word, which is not eternal, it's temporal. You will get a lot in this world if you follow Satan. He can give you a lot. He can make you prosperous. But it's nowhere near of what you're going to get when you follow the eternal word. You're going to get eternal life along with your eternal real estate. But here you get temporal life and you get temporal real estate. So if you can properly understand and put it together, you got far more benefits with Elohim than you do with the adversary of souls. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. But can you uh, take us to the throne? We close okay, out then. this session. All right. Hello, Father, we thank you for being able to dialogue and to just take some introspective look at what is happening, oh, Heavenly Father, with the devil and some of his ways of dealing with us in the church and the media and the television and the movies and the Internet and all of the social communication, oh, Heavenly Father, that we may be able to see you in these things and to be able to use them to the benefit of uplifting Brother Dan, going with the deception, O Heavenly Father, to be able to bring your people down. So as we look to you at this time, we ask for the forgiveness and the pardon of our sins, iniquity, and transgressions, that we may lay them upon Yeshua the Messiah, and that he may take his life of righteousness, peace, and sanctification, Lord, and lay it upon us, that as we exchange our life with his life, that we can be the purchase of the redeemed souls, O oh, Heavenly Father, that will populate heaven one day. Help us to make the right decisions. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to look to you for the strength and the power, the wisdom and the knowledge that ought to be able to incorporate through the power of your Holy Spirit that your mind may be in our minds. Let this mind be in us that was in Yeshua HaMashiach. And when we have his mind, we think upon the things, Lord, that be of heaven. And as we think upon those things, O oh, Heavenly Father, we walk circumspectly of the calling that you have called us with on this earth, that we can demonstrate that we are married to you by being the bride that you would have us to be without wrinkle, spot, or blemish. And as we walk in the pureness, O oh, Heavenly Father, of the light of heaven, that we may be able to share that light, that the Bible says, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. 
So help us to have that light in our life that we can light up the darkness of this world. They let individuals see that there is a place that we are going to be able to receive the reward of doing that which you have given to us to do. Not a church, not a doctrine, but a covenant that you have given us. And as we follow that covenant, that covenant leads us to the eternal existence of life. A life that will measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity, world without end. In Yeshua's name we do ask it, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Amen. I wanna, we want to encourage you listeners to return to his covenant. That's the whole reason why we do this podcast every week, is to tell people of his covenant, his love for us, and that we all need to return and to start keeping his covenant and his laws and so that it can hasten his to return to redeem his chosen people. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, Shalom. Shalom.